we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. And complete the dang fence. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. Cast down your bucket where you are. We come from France. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. They're coming in by the thousands. Just unbelievable. A wall is an immorality. Who are you rooting for? Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up! Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy, the podcast of the Center for Immigration Studies. My name is Mark Krikori, and I'm executive director of the Center. And we're going to do something a little different this episode. Usually, I uh, interview somebody, have a discussion with somebody, and then at the end, I give you my two cents about some event that happened in the news in the previous week. This past week, there's been so much immigration news, I thought we'd just do the whole episode on that. And so we're having kind of a round table with a couple of our experts here at the center to talk about the stuff that's been in the news. Jessica Vaughn is the Director of Policy Studies here at the center, and also joining us is Rob Law, Director of Regulatory Affairs and Policy. The first issue we're going to talk about is the ruling in federal court about DACA, that DACA's illegal, but the people who have it can keep it, but no new DACA's. And this was an important decision, potentially has consequences in Congress, certainly will have legal consequences. And to introduce the issue, give us kind of the basic background about what the case is and what the finding is, is going to be Rob, and he's going to give us some background, and then we'll talk about it for a few minutes. Rob? Great. Thanks, Mark. What an unexpected ruling from Judge Hainan, federal district judge in South Texas. This past Friday, he ruled against the DACA program, finding it on the merits to be unlawful. And there's some real interesting history of this case. This case, despite it being on the DACA program, is the second case that came before Judge Hainan. He actually, a number of years ago, had already ruled against the expansion of DACA, as well as a different executive amnesty program known as DAPA, or Deferred Action for the Parents of Americans and Legal Permanent Residents. For whatever reason, the plaintiffs in that case forgot to include the original DACA policy from 2012 in, in their challenge. And so it wasn't until 2018 that they finally got around to bringing a, a separate lawsuit to challenge the 2012 DACA policy. And it was uh, states are the ones who were suing, right? Texas and then a variety of other That's states right, yes. Together. Texas is the lead plaintiff, so the case is kind of legal shorthand is Texas v. U.S. for the United States government. And uh, essentially what Judge Hainan had to take a look at was from a legal standpoint, procedurally, does Texas have what's called standing to sue? Because if you don't have standing, even if you're right, the courts just don't recognize it. And then if, if you, in fact, do, does the DACA policy violate the law? And so the threshold matter of standing was Judge Hannon took a real interesting approach to this. He looked at it from, a, from an economic harm standpoint to American workers and, and legal immigrant workers as, as well. In the DACA extension and DAPA case, Texas was able to prove their harm because the cost of driver's licenses. But they didn't raise that issue here. Instead, they focused on economic harm. Interesting, interesting. And the point is, just for listeners, standing means you have to suffer some harm to be able to bring the lawsuit. That's kind of what it's about. And so Texas is here explaining what the harm is that it's suffering. 
That's right. What Judge Hainan found with even the Biden administration's position, they even agreed that DACA does, to quote Judge Hainan, congest the workforce. And that essentially, by giving out work permits to DACA recipients, you are harming the, the opportunities, the economic opportunities for United States citizens who live in Texas, as well as other legal immigrants or other aliens who are authorized to work in the state. And so that was kind of the, the threshold hook that said it is proper for Texas to bring this case. And so then Judge Hainan took a look at, well, DACA was introduced as a three-page memorandum by then-Secretary Janet Napolitano. Which means it wasn't an executive order. It wasn't a regulation. It was just a memo. Just a memo. And the question was, does this violate the Administrative Procedure Act? And after a lengthy analysis and sort of explaining what the APA requires, if it is a final position of policy as opposed to just a mere statement of policy, he said, no, this is very much substantive. And so because of that, it was inappropriate to go through a memo. So right there, he said, the memo's the wrong way to do it. You violated the APA. But that wasn't the end of it. And this is where it gets to, to the real merits of it, because President Biden on his first day had issued an executive order to fortify DACA. And then most recently, the Department of Homeland Security indicated that they're working on some form of a regulation involving DACA. And so Judge Hainan said, with, with that in mind, would a regulation cure the APA violation that the memo ran afoul of? And just to clarify here, the APA requires if you're going to do a regulation, you've got to jump through a bunch of hoops where you publish preliminary and then get comments, et cetera, that kind of, and they didn't do any of those hoops. Right, exactly. And it's called notice and comment, and it's for the public to weigh in with the thinking being that, hey, you may propose an idea, a regulatory change, but after public feedback, you know, maybe, maybe you'll just not want to pursue it or maybe you'll tweak it a little bit. It's, it's to give the public a say because it's such a substantive policy change. Right. And so looking at that, would a DACA regulation be an appropriate mechanism? Judge Hainan said, no, that the DACA policy, whether it be in a regulation or in a policy, is a violation of the, our immigration laws. That DACA is not just prosecutorial discretion in the form of a non-enforcement of the law or the non-removal by saying you're a lower priority. It's non-enforcement plus benefits. And that was really the, the hook was it wasn't just we will delay your removal for a period of time. It's we're going to delay your removal and we're going to require you to apply for the work permit. That's part of the DACA deal. And with that, once you have a work permit and a social security number, you then become eligible for all sorts of other benefits, whether they be healthcare related or driver's or license, driver's licenses, right. you name it. And so it's that, that whole combination, that package of things that it's not just non-enforcement, which would be an appropriate exercise of prosecutorial discretion, but it was the plus. Interesting, interesting. That they ran afoul of. And so therefore, Judge Hainan said that DACA is an unreasonable interpretation of the law because it, quote, usurps the power of Congress to dictate a national scheme of immigration laws and is contrary to the INA. Okay, well, good. That potentially has some real implications. Uh, Jessica, any thoughts on what the implications of that kind of ruling could be? Obviously, it's going to be appealed, I assume, to the circuit court and the Supreme Court. But, you know, how might that work, say, for ICE domestically in, their, in doing their business? 
Well, I think this is very important in a number of ways that Rob has outlined, with first being potentially this issue of standing by acknowledging that the states bear the brunt of immigration increases that circumvent Congress. That's very important because there are lots of executive actions that are being contemplated and some have already been issued by the Biden administration that I think states have a legitimate challenge that you know they should bring um, or at least look into. But it's also important, I think, as Rob pointed out, this language and acknowledgement that one of the costs of increasing immigration or, you know, even immigration in this form, that's not really uh, green cards, but other types of benefits, that that has an effect on U.S. workers and legal immigrant workers. I don't remember many other occasions in which this was acknowledged in our court system as a negative effect of immigration expanding policies. I think that's really important. There have been some others having to do with guest workers, but this one, you know, in, in saying that about what was essentially a legalization program, I think is very important. And, you know, of course, this idea that DACA was an actual benefit, not just an exercise of prosecutorial discretion is, is what all of us have been saying all along. Right, right. And, it, you know, and yeah, yeah, the other sense, side was in yeah. denial about and now, you know, that's been sort of torn away. Because, I mean, really what DACA, the punchline is that what DACA is really just like TPS, which it's based on, which is a lawful thing, temporary protective status, but it's modeled on that. It's the work permit. In other words, it's not this supposed shielding or protection from deportation. That part really is, to a degree, prosecutorial discretion. I mean, obviously, at some point, you know, that would turn into usurping the law too. But giving work permits out, this ruling does potentially strike at this concept that not just this administration, but prior ones, implicitly operated on that the president can let in anyone he wants, any foreigner he wants, and give him work permits to anybody he wants in any number for any reason. Essentially, what this perspective on immigration that's implicit in the Biden and earlier in the Obama administration is turning immigration policy on its head. Because the way the law is, the president can keep out anyone he wants, unless he's named Trump, in which case then the courts interfere. But the law says any alien or any class of aliens can be kept out, but only those that Congress specifically authorized is he allowed to let in. And this perspective, which the left and the libertarians have really been pushing, and the corporate people too, is the reverse of that. The president gets to let in anyone he wants on parole. This isn't specifically the question here. And any illegal immigrant here, he gets to give work permits to. But if he's going to keep anybody out, that's restricted. And I think this ruling is more important, really, than a lot of people would suggest, because the ruling doesn't actually invalidate the work permits of the people who have them, the DACA people now. What it says is that the government can't issue any new, approve any new applications. That's right. It's unclear what exactly is going to happen with the basically the grandfathered and current active DACA population. Like renewals, for instance? Exactly. Yeah. So so as of right now, the impact of Judge Hanen's ruling is that there are no new applicants. So that at least stops it from further growing. But he does basically kick it back or remand back to DHS 
because what he says is the entire history of the DACA policy shows that they never considered just forbearance, which that is essentially, I'm not going to remove you this month because you know, you're an illegal alien. Every beneficiary of DACA is an illegal alien, whether they were brought here by their parents as a three-month-old or they willingly came across the border as a 17-year-old or overstayed a visa as a 14-year-old. It doesn't matter. They're all illegal aliens. And because there's no indication that they would look at just the forbearance aspect of it, he says, you have an without opportunity. Without those, without the work permit exactly. and the social security Exactly. Number. So that would be an appropriate use of prosecutorial discretion. Of course, DACA would look very different if that's all it was. And they're not deporting those people anyway, in some sense. Exactly. In other words, that's already happening without a memo. Exactly. So again, there's very little analysis on that aspect of it where he doesn't immediately revoke the work permits of, of the active DACA population. It seems to me that he's essentially giving DHS the ability to wind it down, which I think with, with the Biden administration, it'll be like, okay, you'll get, uh, here's a six-year final work permit, something, right. something like that, and afford Congress an opportunity to see if they'll pass the DREAM Act or something something narrower than that. But as of right now, it's really unclear. The current DACA population, they keep their work permits. No, no new illegal aliens benefit from it. And I guess we'll just have to wait and see if this is appealed or... Which they haven't said for sure whether they're going to appeal it yet. Right. right? I, Although I, the I, president did like express disappointment, disappointment or something yes, in the that's ruling. So always the disappointment. The, the, the money is, they don't get the, what the, they want. The, yeah. good bet, the right bet would be to say that they're going to appeal. Let's move on to the next one because there's so much to talk about. The uh, apprehension numbers for June came out. Uh, the administration seems to have sat on them for a while because they're not very good. It's not getting any better, even though the summer is starting and the numbers usually go down once the punishing heat of summer starts broiling the border. But that didn't happen. The numbers went up somewhat. And uh, Jessica, if you could give us a little outline of what the story is with the border apprehension numbers and what they mean. We hit a milestone, according to this latest release of the border apprehension numbers, Border Patrol agents have made more than a million arrests at the southwest border so far this year, and that's higher than any full year total since at least 2005. That's not a good milestone. As far as June is concerned, Border Patrol arrested about 180,000 people, which is slightly higher than in May, but there were a lot more families that were apprehended, about 50,000 in June, which is about 23% higher than than May. And there were more unaccompanied minors arriving who turned themselves into the Border Patrol. That's about 15,000. So this, this is very worrisome for a lot of reasons. The main reason is that, you know, this is a huge number of people who keep trying to come illegally, which tells us that the policies of the Biden administration are continuing to attract people to come here illegally, that people all over the world continue to believe that if they can get to the U.S.-Mexico border and get across, that they will be allowed to stay without fear of enforcement anytime in the future. And, you know, it's the catch and release policies of the Biden administration that are driving this. They know that they'll be allowed to stay if they can get here, particularly if they're families or if they send their kids. Yeah. And the interesting thing is the uh, other side will often say, well, you know, this is what the smugglers are telling these people. It's like, well, they're telling them that because it's actually true. In other words, they're not being duped. They're actually acting rationally on correct information. 
Right. It's not necessarily the smugglers that are telling them. It's their friends and family who have gone before them. And And CNN and and anything else they listen to. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And to link this to the DACA discussion, we know that the existence of DACA and the hype about DACA and talk about amnesties is one of the things that over the years has always served as an incentive as well. People want to come to try to take advantage of the next amnesty. That definitely has been a factor. Whenever Congress starts talking about an amnesty, we always see increases in people starting to come. But the second thing, as important as the number of people who are caught by the Border Patrol, is the number of people who are being released into the country. So if there were about 180,000 people arrested in June, there were about 75,000 of those released. They're not all sent back under the Title 42 pandemic authorities that allow the government to quickly repatriate people instead of processing them for removal. Under the Biden administration, according to my Border Patrol sources, about 40 percent of all the people that they're apprehending are being released into the country. And that over the course of this year, that's probably going to be about 700,000 people of those new you know, of people trying to enter illegally who are actually going to be allowed to enter. This is the very reward that they're hoping for in trying to come here. And a lot of them are going to supposedly, in order to apply for asylum, isn't that right? Will express a fear. Most of the families and kids and even the single adults that the Border Patrol arrest will express a fear of return. And they know that they should say that. Right, right. But we also know that Only about half of them, if they're allowed into the country in the past, have ever actually filled out the asylum application and tried to apply for asylum. Some of them will do it, but most of them just want to get into the United States. And now the Border Patrol is not even not initiating that asylum process. Most of them, they're just releasing with a summons to appear at an ICE office in their destination. And of course, we know that most of them are not showing up for that. So they're not truly asylum seekers in the true sense of the word. They're opportunists. They they just know that that's what they have to do to get into the country. As Jessica pointed out, these are really economic migrants that are just using whichever channel or loophole they can to find their way into the inside of the country, because that's that's the ultimate goal. They make safe fear in order to start the asylum process, because, you know, as we've discussed before, it is free to apply for asylum, and if it takes some time for the government to get to your case, then all of a sudden, just because you've waited, then you get a free work permit, even before any actual adjudication has occurred. And overwhelmingly, these people do not qualify for asylum. And so they drag out the process for years, oftentimes with a work permit, and it just, there's a disconnect between having an ability to be here and also a permission to to work. It discourages any form of returning home, and it certainly is very much an enticing pull factor to come here. Uh, There's various other avenues that these economic migrants are exploiting to get work permits as well, whether if they're paroled out of custody, that's another loophole that some have figured out how, how to get a work permit on that basis. And, you know, at the end of the day, the real question is, or if they're ordered deported because they failed in their asylum bid, do they actually leave? And the answer seems to be no, 
and there's no effort. And this administration, they've announced publicly that they're not going to track anybody down and remove them. So um, I was just going to say, this is a kind of an interesting insider kind of policy debate going on right now is, is it better to actually process these people and issue them a notice to appear so they get on a docket? You know, on the one hand, that way, you know, we can keep track of them better, but they also have the opportunities, as Rob described, to actually get some benefits while they're here illegally. The Border Patrol folks will say, no, why should we bother processing them in this way? It takes us a lot more time. We're already overwhelmed with all of these high numbers. If we just issue a summons, they're not really on track for anything. They're not showing up for anything, so they simply join the illegal population, and, and maybe that makes it easier down the line to to enforce immigration laws at some point. So in a sense, they can't even really apply for asylum, I guess, because to apply for asylum, you have to be in removal proceedings, right? Well, and you also you have to do it within your first year. Right, right. Here under current law, yeah. too. So, you know, it's it's just an, it's an interesting debate. I mean, to me, the real issue is why are we allowing them to enter at I mean, all? I mean, obviously, yeah. Right. And the inability to detain them, as the law actually says, is that you shall be detained throughout the course of, you know, your removal proceedings. But, but uh, the, yeah, that's not we happening. don't have the ability to do so. And so the, you know, the choice has been to, to cut them loose. The other aspect of this is not only are there lots of families and single so-called unaccompanied minors, teenagers whose parents have paid smugglers to bring them to the border, and then they step over the border on their own, and then they're magically unaccompanied. But it's not just that, and those people are almost all let go, but the percentage of non-Mexican and non-Central Americans is also going up. And we had some reporting on this. Anything you wanted to say about that, Jessica? Our colleague Todd Bensman has been reporting on this for a long time. You're right. It is not just people from the Northern Triangle, the countries that are the focus of the Biden administration's you know, efforts to address the root causes. Lots of them are single adults from Mexico. There are people who've been apprehended from over 160 countries around the world. You kind of wonder what's wrong with the other 30 countries in the world. They haven't said, what are we, <laughs> chop liver? They're not sending us any illegal aliens? Anyway, go ahead. Uh, Give it time. Give it time. (laughs) Uh, Maybe they're already in the visa waiver program. Right, right. But the number of non-Central American, non-Mexican people has gone up by 30-fold since last year. And and one thing I noticed in the last month's statistics is that there were actually more people apprehended from Ecuador than there were from El Salvador. Right. Yep. So word is definitely getting around, and you know that the border is very much open. But here's another really important thing to worry about, and this is what keeps a lot of law enforcement officials up at night with this border crisis, is that not only do we have huge numbers being released into the country, but there are lots of people who are not being caught by the Border Patrol. Gotaways, they call them? Yeah, they've apprehended more than a million so far, but there's a large number of people, it's estimated to be, as of June almost a quarter of a million people who have evaded the Border Patrol were not arrested, not expelled, not released with any kind of paperwork. They simply got around the Border Patrol. So we're on track to see half a million gotaways succeed in entering the country this year. And we have no idea who these people are. We have a pretty good idea that number is accurate because of 
the technology and ability that the Border Patrol has to know who has breached barriers or gotten through around, the, you know, in the large areas of the border that don't have any barriers. But it's more than likely these are the people who don't want to be caught. Right, They're right. people who have been deported before. They're criminals. They're coming for, you know, reasons that they don't want to come to the attention of the Border Patrol or they think that, that they're going to be sent back. And that's a lot of people coming to a town near you. It's really concerning. And, you know, the interesting point on this gotaways thing is that I've heard for years from Border Patrol agents where they say, well, you know, for every one we catch, probably two get through or something. I mean, in other words, that kind of thing is literally just kind of off the top of their head. I mean, I don't discount the spidey sense of experienced Border Patrol agents. Nonetheless, it's not a hard number. Whereas this gotaways number, I mean, it's softer than actual arrests, but it is based on footprints on sensor hits and remote camera images where they know that they didn't get the person, but they know that he got across the border. So my point is that this half a million possible number of gotaways this year isn't just something pulled out of the air. There actually is some substance. That's, That's probably a number that, you know, give or take some, obviously, is a real thing, not just some supposition. A real thing. They have a very good idea. Well, I was just say when you consider that the Biden administration is not removing anyone from this country, right. and you're getting at least half a million potentially new illegal aliens year after year after year, very quickly, the illegal alien population will just explode if there's not any level that is actually being removed on an annual basis. Yep. Yep. Anything else on this border issue, Jessica? I just wanted to point out that a lot of people are waiting for the Biden administration to change policies or, you know, and wringing their hands and tearing their hair out or hoping Congress will do something. And, you know, certainly Congress could do something about it. The Biden administration could do something about it. I don't expect either one of those scenarios to happen. Right. But there are things that states can do. I mean, after all, as we've been saying, the states really bearing the brunt of the federal government's failure to enforce our immigration laws, but they don't need to just sort of sit back and watch and take this. There are things they can do. Some states are suing. Some states are sending help to Texas, which has enacted some measures that haven't really gone into full implementation yet. But the other thing that states really can do is to start to demand information from the federal government on on, on who's being released how many of them, what countries they come from, what do we think their identity is, who are these people? Because the federal government authorities, Border Patrol and CBP and ICE, collect information. They know how many people that they're releasing into the country. They ought to be telling states where to expect them and give them some information about it so that the states can plan for this. Some states are refusing to accept, for example, unaccompanied minors because of the strain it puts on their foster care system. There are lots of other ways that this influx of people is causing problems in states. And there, I don't think that the Biden administration is going to do anything about it until states start pushing back a little bit and documenting what the cost is and the impact is on, on their community. Yeah, if then. As a last point, uh, Rob, on this border issue, Title 42 is this public health thing. We're not going to go into it because we're running late. But the point is, it was based on a pandemic public health order, allows the Border Patrol to just turn people around and push them back into Mexico, no hearing, no nothing. 
that's going to be lifted at some point. Actually, there was a report from, I think, CNN that they're kind of rethinking whether they're actually going to lift Title 42 because basically they're wetting their pants about the effect this is going to have at the border because what they're doing with most of these single adult men is just turning them around and sending them back. Once that authority isn't there, what do you think is likely to happen down at the border? Well, it'll certainly be the equivalent of an, of an open door unless there's enough political pressure to reinstate the Remain in Mexico policy, otherwise known as you know, the Migrant Protection Protocols. That was a very effective policy from the Trump administration. You wait in a safe, secure place in Mexico, you're taken care of, and then you're only into the United States for your court hearings, and you go back and you wait, and then those who are actually awarded asylum get to stay, and they get all the benefits that come with that in the protection, but those that don't, it is far easier to, to return them to their home country. Many voluntarily go back home rather than wait in, in Mexico. And, and the whole point and, is they haven't been allowed to disappear into the United States. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so when they didn't come to stay in Tijuana. Right, right, exactly. The goal is to get here with family that's already in the country, probably unlawfully, to try to get work either through one of these work permit schemes or, you know, working under the table, which uh, is unfortunate byproduct of not having mandatory e-verify. But if you don't have enforcement policies at the border, it becomes almost like there is no border. Right, right. As last thing, Jessica, if you could just tell us in just a few sentences, what's going on in Congress? There's this effort by the Democrats to attach a huge amnesty to a budget bill or a, a ostensible budget bill, spending bill. What's the story with that? Well, everybody knows that the only thing that can get through Congress these days is something that's on a must-pass bill, which is usually a spending bill. The Democrats are trying to take advantage of their control of the Senate to force through a bill through the so-called reconciliation process that would include all of their top wish list for policy changes. And, And one of those that they think they might be able to get through reconciliation on a spending bill is a massive amnesty proposal that would include not only the DACA recipients, but potentially also people with temporary protected status and other people that they call essential workers, which is illegal alien workers and any number of types of occupations. There's pressure from the far left on Schumer and Durbin and others in the Senate to to allow this to go through in this way with 50 votes and Kamala Harris's vote to bring it over the top. It remains to be seen whether they're going to be able to succeed. They need to hold together all of their Democrats in the Senate, and I think that's going to be pretty tough, and have no Republicans join. And this is going to be very controversial because the budget reconciliation process, this this way of, of getting legislation through is supposed to be reserved for things that actually have to do with the budget and spending. And so they've got some pretty creative arguments to show how an amnesty is related to spending. It all comes down to whether the parliamentarian, who, by the way, used to be a government lawyer on immigration cases, I think working for the former INS, will have to decide if this big amnesty proposal and other wish list items is actually allowable under this technique. So that's going to all play out in the next couple of weeks. Right. Any thoughts on that, uh, Ron? Well, I would just say that, you know, the fact that the Democrats are even exploring this reconciliation process to only passes with 50 votes plus Kamala Harris 
it really shows that all of this polling that is usually funded by various groups supportive of unlimited immigration, they, they cannot possibly be accurate. If, if amnesty was as popular as these polls show, you don't need to come up with this budgetary reconciliation gimmick. You would have, you'd have the votes for it if the right. American people truly supported it. No, that's a good point, yeah. Because that polling always is kind of funny because, you know, I'm caricaturing a little bit but not much where they say, you know, do you think an illegal immigrant who otherwise obeys the law, is hardworking, goes to church on Sunday and takes care of his elderly mother should be allowed to stay? And people are like, yeah, okay. But any poll where... Chuck Schumer and I are giving the same answer is not asking the right question because obviously no one believes that we're not going to have another amnesty like this a few years from now. In fact, it's even worse. Uh, this the the they haven't laid out what this amnesty would be, but you know we've talked about parts of it and some of it is in writing in various places. We we basically know the outlines of it, though maybe not totally. There's no enforcement in it at all. There's not even the pretense of saying, okay, we're going to fix these people's status who are already here, but we're going to make sure that going forward, we're going to enforce the law. Now, that's always been a, a con, quite frankly, from 1986 on. It's, it doesn't work that way, but the Democrats now seem to basically have given up even the pretense of supporting enforcement. And my sense on this is that the at least the the harder progressives that are pushing this assume that they're going to lose control of Congress next year anyway. In other words, they've factored that in, and they're I think they're thinking, let's go for broke, let's you know do whatever we can, and we'll just take the political hit, and then we'll come back later. Yeah, I think that's right. I agree. I think they very much want to force this through if they can get away with it. Yeah. And if they can't get away with it, they're going to say, well, we just wanted to message that we agree that this is very important and we tried and the Republicans blocked us. Yeah, well, that's true. But no, but I mean, that's what the, in a sense, I think that's what the, if this is even the right adjective, the more responsible elements on the Democratic side. In other words, the leadership, obviously, you know, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi want all of this amnesty and everything. They get that. But they also are leaders of a political party. And I think they understand, as Rob said, that this is not popular. I mean, you know, some of the people, the activist groups on the anti-borders side, I think have come to believe their own press releases. And Schumer and Pelosi, for whatever, you know, whatever else you say about them, they're politically savvy enough not to fall for their own rhetoric, I think, anyway. And they know that this would be a political disaster for them, especially, you know, pushed through this way. It has no legitimacy, no buy-in from the other side. So, uh, I mean, we'll see. But the point is, it's a real possibility. And the idea that they're even considering an amnesty for, you know, maybe 5 million people, maybe more. I mean, it's hard to tell what the size of it would be, but 5 million is probably a good rule of thumb for what they're looking for. While the border is disintegrating is kind of surreal, in my opinion. So, I don't know. Um, we've gone on a little too long here. Any last thoughts, Rob and Jessica? Rob? Oh, no, just that if reconciliation is the process that's used to amnesty 5 million illegal aliens, that would be the largest amnesty uh, in Easy. our country and without a single Republican vote. Uh, yep. I think that'd be pretty remarkable. Any last thoughts, Jessica? No, I, I think it's going to be an interesting rest of the summer, though. So stay tuned. Yep. And we will uh, be back next week. We may do a roundup again if there's enough new news between now and then. 
although we do have some interesting interviews also uh, planned for you. So again, this is Mark Krikorian for Parsing Immigration Policy. Thank you for tuning in. All of the center's work is online at cis.org, and I hope you'll join us next week. Thank you.